Warning, the hosts of this program are not broadcast professionals. They have no idea what they're doing. They are bad at this. One of them uses swear words. A lot. All complaints about this show are correct. You have been warned. This is your last chance to download a real podcast. Okay, you asked for it. Here are Dave Brown and Iron Mike Irons. This is Entitled Town. All right, Al. Thank you, Al. Great announced to open the show. I'm here. I'm Dave Brown. I'm here with Iron Mike Irons. And um, Al was just telling me how uh, he bet uh, on Tom Brady and uh, the Buccaneers last night um, because he, uh, he, he told me, this is what he said. He said, I feel like that's what Ben Volan would do. That's always a solid strategy. Al must have been septum, di- septum deep in something again. I, I just, I, I, mean, I just looked at him. Like, what do you, I, I don't even know if that's true. I don't, like, what does that mean? I just, it's, it's what I think Ben Volan would do. But that's what he said. And so, anyway, here we are. Uh, we, we finished the game, so the Patriots are now four and six. Is that right? After, it is. Uh, after losing this weekend to the Houston Texans. Um, you know, we, we've talked a lot about this, this sort of game plan of grind it out and wait for the other team to make a mistake or, or capitalize when the other team makes a mistake. I don't recall – Houston making any major mistakes in this game. They certainly made fewer than the Patriots did, and they, they held serve. They won at home. The Texans have been in a lot of close games this year. And um, this time, they, they held up their end of the bargain. They, they pulled this one out. So, you know, Patriots now find themselves in a difficult position. Everybody has, has uh, determined, determined that their season is over, I think, at least mathematically. That's certainly not the case. Um, it's only been one team under this particular playoff format that ever missed the playoffs um, with 11 wins. So usually 10 gets you in. And um, if the, the Patriots would have to win out, however, to do that, and that's going to be a tall task. And so, you know, you look at it and you go, okay, well, can they get to nine wins? And if they can get to nine wins, maybe they have a chance to get in. We'll see. So let me ask you this. Where, where are you in the, in the state of things right now? Well, there is a seventh wildcard team this year. There's only one guy, right. so they added a seventh wildcard team. There are well, a lot of teams. Seventh that, overall. So seventh overall. Should, should get you a seventh in, right? seed, if you will. Yeah. And so I think, we can, I think we can say 10 wins probably. I can't imagine with seven teams, 10 wins not getting um, into the playoffs unless you wind up in a tiebreaker situation and, and, uh, and lose that way. But, um, you know, once again, nine or ten wins should get you in. The Patriots can still get to nine or ten wins. It's not crazy. But, but I think one thing we're looking at here is, um, you know, we know they're going to have to play better than they did this week. Agreed. I, the, the first and foremost, you don't hear his name a lot. You, you get a lot of screeching about Mahomes and Russell Wilson, that sort of thing. Deshaun Watson's fantastic. He did the same right. thing last year. To the, to the Patriots when they went down to Houston. Um, yeah. That really, really excellent defense last year. He's really good and a lot better than even I remembered. So you, sometimes you got to tip your cap. The Patriots yeah. played a clean game offensively despite being much more pass-heavy than they have been. They didn't turn the ball over. Again, Newton, you know, I'd argue numbers lie, but Newton had a pretty – he's clean, clean stat line. Um. But the defense, I mean, Watson was amazing. They No sacks. They, the Patriots didn't generate any turnovers. And only two negative – Houston only had two negative plays, and they were very small negative plays. So it wasn't like the week before against Baltimore. Yeah, well, yeah, only two negative plays. Wow. I mean, Watson is he's, – He's Wilson-level like, elusive. Well, I don't know if anybody – I mean – Lamar Jackson in the open field is really good at avoiding tackles, but I but in the pocket I don't know if anybody just is a better you know kind of escape artist right now 
than Deshaun Watson is, and they, he's been frustrating them since 2017. Every hey, I, They play right. all the time, it seems like, and every time they go up against Deshaun Watson, uh, and they've been successful, they've won the games a number of times, but as far as keeping him under control or putting him on the ground, like, that's been pretty tough for them. And, you know, they, they – I think they have a strategy that – has proven effective, which is let's try to keep them contained, make them stay home, and then, you know, not run all over the field and let some kind of big play emerge because he'll make the throw. You know, it's that, it's that Aaron Rodgers kind of, hey, if he gets outside of the pocket, things can deteriorate, and then he can really burn you downfield because the guy can make some good throws. That's great. But, but what, what happened this week was – Okay, let's try to keep them contained. But then they played this zone, and the Texans were able to exploit it. And, and the guys were able to get open. The receivers were able to get open in this Patriots zone. So normally what's the strength for the Patriots, their, their uh, defensive secondary, that was not their highlight on Sunday, and they needed it to be. When you have someone as talented as Watson is, who is as patient as he is and is unwilling to put the ball in jeopardy, it's going to be very, very tough to turn over and win. And the Texans couldn't move the ball even a little bit on the ground. And Watson still had, was able to create enough time and make plays. And it's one of those – this is unfortunately one of those occasions where I think you just got to tip your cap and move on. Defense, at least yeah. from the defensive side of the ball. They, they played a good game. They didn't beat themselves. Those are the things that they've been doing for a while. You know, look, the Texans, they get a chance to improve too. And everybody's, you know, hung up on, hey, they only had two wins, but they've been in a lot of games. They've played well against good teams. So you had to expect on the road that they were going to give you a good shot. And, you know, the Patriots were in it until the end. But if you look at – you're talking about Newton did. He protected the ball, which is what you need. But what drives you nuts with Cam Newton? is especially if you've, you've been accustomed to watching Tom Brady for 20 years, is that he throws more bad balls than I think at least this fan base is going to be used to. And that was a problem, especially this Sunday, when they're blitzing, like, they're blitzing him like crazy and he can't make those, you know, those short passes to safety valves to – James White, uh, you know, hitting those hot reads. There's that play where with Harry, I tweeted about it when it happened, that if he catches it, it could be six. And, and that's the play with Nikhil Harry that never seems to, like, work out for him. I saw Brady miss, miss him on that route last year. I saw Newton miss him on that route this year. And when I say miss, I mean just completely not realize that Nikhil Harry was wide open. Uh, the, the first option on the play was somewhere else, and they weren't looking for it. And then uh, shades of uh, Muhammad Sanu from last year, the one time they throw it to him, well, actually with Sanu, Sanu would like dribble the ball off his knee for some reason. But this time they hit uh, Harry and just put it in the numbers and the guy runs for a long time. He threw it out of his reach, nowhere to go, and there was just a whole bunch of that from Newton on Sunday. You know, he made that great throw at a bird on, on that deep touchdown. That was a great Great throw. adjustment great, by Bird. Great catch by Bird. Uh, you know, but then you see these kind of like wobbly ducks that come out when he's under pressure and when, you know, he doesn't get his feet set or when it's almost like a Chuck Knobloch type thing, like making the throw to first would seem easy, but it's not happening. And, or Steve Sachs for people who are, who are older. Um, I don't know who a more recent example would be. Who's more recent at like, John Lester can't throw to first. John Lester, there you go. He's got the yips, right? Like, he just can't throw to first. I once saw Orlando Hernandez throw his whole glove with the ball in it to first. Maybe John Lester could have tried that. You know what I'll tell you? It's, it sounds yes. – Cam Newton's raw numbers, the, just the simple numbers, he's completing passes at a higher rate, a higher completion percentage than Brady has – Maybe than other than I believe I looked earlier than once or twice in his career. So Newton's a 68% passer. And it sounds asinine to say this. He's an inaccurate passer, even though he's completing 68% of his throws. 
and his his inability, and maybe it's maybe this is a different argument. He is so slow to do his reads, and it, all they had to do Sunday, they sent everything after him, and the the offense, the last play of the game, he his inability to to read a blitz and to make the the a side adjustment, the line call, that sort of thing, it's. It's just the lack of attention to detail. His footwork's terrible on the short stuff. Um, you know, again, his numbers were fine Sunday. Just he's, right. I, he's dynamic. I made the point last week. He's dynamic, and he's so, so limited. Those were 365 of the most laborious passing yards that you'd ever seen. Well, well here's what I'd say is I, I actually saw somebody – in line with what you're saying, I've seen somebody compare him to Drew Bledsoe in a way. And, Absolutely. And, and I get that. I see that comparison. Here's what I'll say. When you're talking about him being slow with his reads, when you talk about him failing to make adjustments, when you talk about um, you know, him not getting his feet set, that's where I – those three things I, I just keep coming back to. Is this a product of him learning on the fly? And it's not an unfair question. It's the question that the, the team has to sort out over the course of the rest of the season. Because like, like I said to you earlier, two games ago, that if, if the Patriots wind up re-signing Cam Newton, he will have done enough to demonstrate to you that he deserves this job. And I'll agree that he has not done that yet. What we don't know, you and I sitting here, in, and what they probably do know in Foxborough right now, in the building, as they say, they probably know um, whether Cam thing. is <laughs> whether Cam is capable with time of closing these sort of leaks in his game, or whether these are just permanent flaws in Cam Newton that are not going to be fixed. They know that. They they know whether it's um, whether it's the permanent flaw or whether it's the uh, fixable flaw. And, boy, if these are fixable flaws, you look at this and you go, this guy could really be something special. If they can't, then you I go, well, wait, I would. I, I would say that. I'd say if Cam Newton can fix the flaws right now, I mean, if he's, if he's throwing, if he's completing that, at that rate, okay, if he's throwing that ball to Bird, if he's, he's been pretty accurate outside the numbers, but if he can't hit those um, – those hot reads, okay, to the, the plays. The, these are really important plays because these are the plays that Brady would kill teams on late in the game when they would try to get him off his spot, um, to use, a, to use another, to use a, in the parlance of our times, another well-traveled phrase, get him off his spot. That's where Brady would start to look to, okay, well, here's, you know, an inside screen to James White. Here's my hot read. Let me, boom, get that out to a tight end. He's terrible on the short passes, Newton. He's terrible. Yes. He has zero that's touch. What I, that's, exact, that's exactly what I'm saying. Now, is that because he's struggling to realize where the pressure is coming from, how to set the protection, and then find his hot read? Or is it because – he simply is bad at throwing those. And I, you know what? I'll be honest. I haven't done any film study on Cam Newton prior to 2020. So, and in 2020, I'm just watching him play the games. So we, we see that he has this flaw, but is there something that, um, you know, Cam Newton playing with the, playing with in this system for a while, playing with the same people, playing, working with Josh McDaniels, working with Bill Belichick over time, you know, I guess you could say within the womb of Foxborough, for a long time, can he improve? Or is this just what Cam Newton is and he's going to be inconsistent? And I think if he's going to be inconsistent, that you, for one, are probably out on one. I would, I would say this, if I'm being fair, I mean, yeah. he's, he's a better quarterback, an all-around quarterback now than he was even week one when they, they won or when they beat Miami. It's, he's not running nearly as much now. He only attempted three runs on Sunday. Um, as a as opposed to he threw the ball 40 times he's improved and again the, the verdict's not in they, they certainly you know 
breaking news. They know more in the building caller. They know a lot more. They know his study habits, what he's capable of. I would argue that he's, uh, I don't want to make any grand proclamation because good Lord knows he can improve and he's gotten better. Perhaps he can, they're still learning him. He's still learning the offense and the players and the team. I just, it's the eye test, Dave, and maybe I'm damaged by the Bledsoe experience. Um, I mean, he was, you want to talk about frustrating and we've been over the numbers less than five yards average net per attempt in the playoffs, that sort of thing. They can, they can win with Newton. I just don't know if they can win at the level that, uh, that they would want to win. He's, I just, he's, he's limited. Well, that's it. I don't, well, I don't have, I don't have that's, any grand that's insight. Right there. That's it right there. Like, I don't think either of us are really saying that Cam Newton is bad. I, th- I think there's a lot about this season that you look at and yeah, he's there, you know, four and five when he starts. But I think there's a lot you can look at and go. Some some of this is some of what he's done this season is pretty impressive. Uh, but is he going to be? Look, I mean, I looked it up today, and Brady lost 64 regular season games in 20, in 20 years. <laughs> like that's ridiculous. Absurd. His Absolutely average absurd. season was was like you know 12 and four. So you know, if you want to be in that neighborhood, right? Uh, will you ever be without Tom Brady? You know, in that, in that, well, let's say that Bill Belichick is the greatest coach ever and doesn't have Tom Brady. Well, he's generally probably winning 10 to 11 games, not 12 or 13. That's probably the difference, right? And so, and so it, it, is Cam Newton the guy who you can be that, you know, in that 10 to 12 range with every single year? And, I, I don't know yet. I don't think so. I, I mean, not based on what he's shown us so far. Now, if these are some of these things are correctable flaws, if he can play the way he did last week against the Ravens, yeah, I mean, you could see a future for, for Cam Newton there. But, man, the, the continuous efficiency that you have to maintain to do what Tom Brady did is completely out of this world. So, it's, unfair. it's unfair to compare Newton to – to Brady, it just it's yeah. just it just yeah. is and this because, this this yeah. edition of this patriots team um including the COVID out opt outs they're not as good as they were last year i mean that's breaking news right they lost four games last year in the regular season they've lost six um maybe they're maybe they can run the ball control offense more effectively if they have hightower in there and chung in there and you know they're running out a lot of these young guys therese hall has been playing patty cake back and forth um, between the practice squad and the active roster. I mean, all things said, you know, they're playing the way they have to on defense. And, you know, I'm repeating myself, you know, Watson did a great job. I just, I don't see, they made some chunk plays on offense. The Patriots did on Sunday. They did. They, they again, they, they weren't playing. I mean, you're on the road. They're a professional team. They weren't playing a very good football team, but they were able to move the ball a little bit, but you're going to throw up at 365 yards, effectively 350 in the Hail Mary. He couldn't get the ball to the end zone there. You're going to throw up at 315 yards and only get uh, 20 points out of it on offense. That's not very efficient. That's just not an efficient offense. No. But, hey, look, um, you know what I think is great is that we're having a constructive conversation. Like, the fact that there's something, that there are flaws with this team, that they have a losing record, that they might not like the playoffs – the probability suggests that we'll make the playoffs. That we could still sit here and have a rational conversation about where this is going and what this is. Um, you know, I, I like to think that the entire time that I've been covering the Patriots, that we've been talking about them, be it on Twitter or on this podcast, that we have looked at this through the lens of reality without being, you know, huge Pat fan, but – Oh, I am. I mean, I'm a huge Patriots yeah. fan. I, I, I do see it through rose-colored glasses, and I've always... But that, but that... No, 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 no. But that whole, like, that whole, like, toxic objectivity of, like, always having to be like, look, I like this team, but I have to destroy them to maintain credibility. I don't think that... I think that we can avoid and that. I don't want to be that way regarding Newton. Yeah. I just, I am, I'm going but to I tell you, think... this is... This is not scripted, Dave. I'm not going to come wait, wait, on wait, here. Wait, I got to finish. I got I to gotta explain what I'm saying, because... because I'm I'm so I'm sorry. This is a very scattered thought. What I'm trying to say is, you know, 
people basically said that we would never criticize the team. We were so uh, blind. You know, when they were winning Super Bowls, right? They win, in, in 16, they win one. In 18, they win one. They go to another in 2017. And people are always like, you know, you're just, you're just sucking up to Bill Belichick. You just want to make him happy. Okay. Um, or you're a Patriots fan and you're just going to like anything they do. Except that what they were doing at the time, if you observed reality, was pretty great. And now there is something to look at from a different side of things. Now it's like, okay, what's wrong with this team and how can it be fixed? And I think I like the way that we're having a rational conversation about that. And I guess what I'm trying to say is you juxtapose that against um, whatever was happening on the radio today from uh, two to six. And I don't know. I imagine that we seem like more rational people. Well, talk about the proverbial low bar. I want to, um, I'm going to quote a tweet here that was sent to the Entitled Town account today. Um, It's from uh, Glenn McQuaid. Um, Entitled Town could do a whole show based on Bedard's Felger and Maz appearance today. Examples. Bill Belichick doesn't want to work hard to coach high-level talent anymore. He is coaching for his job next year. And are they doing wide receiver roulette with different guys getting more targets each week? That's for starters. <laughs> they used to have not enough wide receivers. Now they're throwing to too many guys. What are they Jacoby doing? Myers, Jacoby Myers said in his press conference on Monday, he was, or I should say he was asked if they were, Houston was paying more attention to him. He goes, yeah, they were, they were diving a safety on me when I was doing my routes, which is why um, yeah. Bird had the opportunity to make plays. As if this isn't how the NFL works for every single team every single week. As if, as if every team has like their, their wide receiver one who just is going to get the most targets. I don't it's radio for Dave. It's radio for dummies featuring the ultimate oh, dummy, almost so, the coach Bedard. It's so, you know, I, I saw this tweet earlier, like this poll that Tom Curran put out and I, and it started off like so reasonable. It was like, you know, we all knew that, that the Patriots were going to go through this. It's been 20 years. And um, it's been 20. Oh, it's, here it is. It's a rebuild. This was earlier today. You get it. I get it. And after 20 years, that's okay. Everyone can deal with it. First of all, everyone cannot deal with it. There are no one, no, like a lot of people are not handling this well. It's, it's kind of a disaster. But um, the question is, now there's a question. What? That wasn't the whole statement. That sounded like a pretty good summary of everyone can deal with it. That sounds like a pretty good summary of what's happening, right? He continues. The question is, what's your confidence level in Bill Belichick getting the Patriots back contending for Lombardi's? And here are the options. High to extremely high. I think he'll do it. Doubt has taken root. Or... That party's over, friends. Now, I, I don't understand what, why you have to frame anything on these terms. Like, it, that's not the question. The, it, consumer confidence in the Patriots is really irrelevant to, to how they rebuild. It doesn't matter. It's not, that's not the question. The question is, you know, what resources do the Patriots have to go get the players that they need to resolve the problems that they have, okay? The question is, do th- is, is this guy the quarterback? The question is not, how do you feel right now? How is your, uh, what, what's your outlook? What's your personal outlook? Oh, you know what that is. It's, enga- it's, it's looking for engagement. They're looking for clicks. They're yeah. just trying right. to. I know. To, yeah. I, I know. I understand that. But, um, you know, one of my favorite quotes, uh, I haven't read much. I heard Scartelli on here. He quoted Shakespeare uh, a few weeks back. <laughs> He not only did he quote Shakespeare, by the way, he he gave a Shakespeare quote that I've never heard before, which I was like, "Damn, that's impressive!" Because deep Shakespeare polls—that's what deep Shakespeare polls. And listen, I'm not a Shakespeare, um, you know, expert. I'm not a I'm not a Shakespeare scholar, but the the quotes that you usually hear from Shakespeare. Are, are, are just, they're just circulating and it's like the Simpsons, right? Like they're just ones that stick out and people who haven't even read or watched, they stick to those people and they remember them and they recycle them. 
Scartelli's pulling, remembering Shakespeare quotes from I don't know what, okay? And I'm sitting there and I'm like, oh man, you gotta watch out for this guy. He's got his, he's got his act together. He's remembering Shakespeare that he read probably. See, either he read it a long time ago, like in college, or he read it the day before. Either way, it's impressive that he's sitting around reading Shakespeare, impressive. Or if he's remembering it from, you know, however long ago, also impressive. Now, here are the results of, uh, oh, no, there's a quote. One of my favorite quotes is uh, from Kurt Vonnegut, who's more my speed than Shakespeare, <laughs> okay? But he said, we are what we pretend to be. So we must be careful about what we pretend to be. And what that means is, oh, well, I was just having fun, right? Okay. I was just goofing around. I was just trying to get clicks. I just wrote a headline to get a little, you know, more clicks. Okay. Well, in the end, you are what you put out in the world. So I just don't give this, this free pass to, eh, what difference does it make? In the aggregate, it adds up to a lot. So I won't, um, I won't do any more literature hour, but here are the results of, of Tom's poll. Um, doubt has taken root and that party's over, friend, combined with 29% of the votes. Okay? High to extremely high confidence level and Bill Belichick getting the Patriots back into contention. 34%, and I think he'll do it, 37%. So about 71% of the people in Tom's poll don't even have a crisis of confidence right now. Isn't that, isn't that amazing? That like, for all, of the, for all of the stuff that we see, which is mostly Twitter and the radio, where everyone is constantly losing their mind and spitting hot takes like, um, you know, like a lawn sprinkler, 71% of the people are basically like, yeah, no, Bill Belichick's going to be fine. Radio, but what they're appealing to is the lowest common, radio specifically, radio's appealing to the lowest common denominator. And the Boston media, by and large, save for some, a few notable exceptions, that's what they're catering to. You know, Scarcy's going to quote Shakespeare. I'm going to drop a quote on you here. Hell, and empty, hell is empty and all the devils are here. That's not Volan, by the way. That's actually Shakespeare. But that is a pretty accurate quote for what's going on with the better part of the Boston media with the, the Andy Hartz and Bedards and Volans of the world. It's, it's a never-ending race to the bottom. And it's, it, it pains me to see. Curran, once upon a time, was, was a must-read for me. And I've unfollowed him. I just, I, I just you know, do, hey, do what you got to do to pay the bills. And he's certainly become a featured personality on NBC. But I'm, I'm just kind of, you know, so kind of yeah, done with I mean, it from that end. Of course, um, you know, these media bubbles, this is um, something that's, that's been widely talked about. But I want to just give sort of some insight into, you know, how these things kind of reinforce themselves, which is you, whoever, you, you know, wherever you are on the totem pole in this media industry, you need to be elevated by other people who can share your work and get it in front of an audience that might look at it. I, I mean, I've had some debates on Twitter with Tom Curran, but unless he agrees with me, he's not going to retweet me. And that is very persuasive if you're an account that has a small amount of followers, right? Tom Curran has over 100,000 followers. And they're all, right, and they're all Patriots fans. Well, most of the Patriots fans are, are football fans, right? And so if I want a shot at that audience, I have to go and get guys like Greg Bedard, guys like Ben Volen, guys like, um, like Curran to retweet me. So it does mean there's, no, there's nothing to be gained from disagreeing with them. Now, what this does is, is that it basically forces everyone to consolidate not only into agreement, but into one version of, of one narrative of what's going on in any given topic. Media groupthink. 
one of the things that I find stunning, and we've talked about this, about how a lot of media opinions, or, or a lot of these narratives, are formed out of sort of a social agreement, like, a, like an unspoken social agreement, like we're all gonna go along to get along. Social media comes in and accelerates that to the max, because now anybody who doesn't conform to this uh, loses favor and has trouble getting attention, has trouble getting retweeted, all of those things that are the lifeblood of your career, your, your earning power. So many things, if you are in the media, okay? Well, I'd argue, I'd argue the opposite point, Dave. I think it's always been that way in media. I don't, you, whether you're oh. going back to when Gammons yes, and but uh, Will McDonough. But supercharged right, but it, it's, at least the field media. somewhat, at least the field somewhat, and, I, and somewhat with an, an asterisk on it, has been yeah. leveled because what have I been saying for years? They hear you. When you call bullshit on them, they hear you. I know I'm blocked sure. deservedly by a number of Boston media members. I know they hear me and people who are like-minded like me, the BJBSJ guys, they hear us. There's, there's a gaggle of media burners that are hyper-aware, hyper-locally of everything that's said about them. Everything. Well, there's like, there's a hundred different ways to look at. Like, uh, okay, so, so with lawyers, right? You say like you put four lawyers in a room, you're going to get five opinions uh, on any given topic. And in football, I would imagine that if, if coaches sat there and watched that game, really good coaches watched that, that game between Houston and the Patriots, uh, you know, you put, you put five of those really good coaches in a room, they'd come away with six different opinions about how the game could have been won, how, what's, go, what's going on with the Patriots, like why they're not as good as they should be, and, 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 and everybody could have their different idea of what personnel changes they need to make, of uh, what game planning changes that they could have made differently. What gets me is every single week, the media comes to the same exact conclusion. That's why this so, podcast exists, Dave, is in I know, part to call bullshit on that. Uh, I know. And, and, but isn't that, isn't that so bizarre that highly opinionated people are all coming to the same conclusions so consistently all of the time? And, and then if you're different, right, if you, um, if you stray too far from that narrative, then it's pointed out that you're just, hey, you're trying to be different. You're just a contrarian. You're just taking the opposite view for the sake of it. And sometimes that's true. But some, some people do that. But the thing is, like, ugh, how is to it your possible? Point, to your point. But so much consistency in, in the nature of, of what people think is wrong, whether it's because if, if they need fast linebackers, if that's the sort of perception going into a season, then everybody's going to believe that all season. If they don't have enough receivers, everyone's going to believe that all season, even when the receivers are getting open and the, quarterback, and the quarterback is throwing the ball in the dirt. Yeah, bounce pass enthusiasts. Bounce passes. Yeah. Problem is, the problem isn't the receiver when it's a bounce pass. You know, I, I would argue the point I was trying to make before I, I stepped all over you was that it, it's – to your point about the media groupthink, that sort of thing where it becomes you can draw a straight line between all of them. There's, there's not a lot differentiating one from the other, save for a couple of extreme morons who I've talked about ad nauseum here. It, it's, it, I, the, the whole media, um, I guess the media establishment in Boston, they've gone out of their way. Um, for people who, who largely play it straight, no one plays it more straight than Mike Reese, right? And he's been um, referred to right. as Kraft's uh, fourth or fifth son. Jeff Howe <laughs> gets dragged on a regular basis right. on WEEI, and they've gone after him. You know, those for providing idiots. For providing information. For providing information, playing it yeah. straight, and just you know, presenting the material to, to the, the consumer and letting them draw their own conclusions. And like... Um, and, and I like, swear to God, the, things, most of the Boston media is like, is like the Mean Girls table with a double-digit IQs. They just, they're incapable of thinking or maybe just don't want to process rational thought. Well, it, there's, there's a defensiveness against anything that sort of penetrates the agreed-upon narrative. And like, you know, one of the things that I find interesting is that 
some of the, the common um, terms that people will use, they'll talk about, it's so simple. Whatever the issue is, it's so simple. And I said this on Twitter the other day, as soon as someone says, it's so simple, you know that they haven't really thought it through. It came up with the Gordon Hayward thing, which um, he that got. That was Nick Cattles who made that point. Bedard's uh, right? lackey, right. Making Big URI surprise. Proud. Nick Cattles. Um, yeah. He, uh, you know what's funny, by the way? Okay, so, so the Gordon Hayward thing, uh, th- there's this, like, you know, basically uh, the industry-wide, like, they needed to get something for him or it's a complete disaster and – um, you know, Danny Ainge should be trying in the Hague and putting the, in the stocks in um, Faneuil Hall after he's convicted in the Hague. And it's just, and it's just, it's a far more complex issue than it's being presented as. However, then there's people like our, our good friend, GB, the hyperlocal uh, entrepreneur, who was calling Ainge out for like dead money as if this were an NFL you know, cap situation. It was. He almost- thought they were going to have to. They were going to have to have hold, have a hold on the cap because, uh, like the like the Brady stuff, like Brady the Patriots, style, like, right? right. It's, it's again just it's staggering. I mean, this is his job. This is his job to know this kind of stuff, and you know he's not well, alone in that. But that is <laughs> when did that, that ever? <laughs> that, yeah, that hasn't stopped him before. I mean, that's uh-huh. listen. The NBA salary cap is is obviously just there's there's layers upon layers upon layers. That's a fundamental it's really what it's showing is all he's trolling and he's incapable of, of going outside that box and getting back to it. The decisions Hayward, if he they want, if he wants to sign with Indiana, they would have had to have worked something out because the Pacers didn't have the cap space. By the way, Charlotte doesn't either as of right now, even after stretching Nick Batum for several years, but it's not, it, the ball was not in the Celtics court. And, and I made the point yesterday. Can you imagine if a team with legitimate NBA title aspirations, they did make it to the final four, even with Hayward um, suffering an injury in the playoffs. Can you imagine the Fuhrer if they had the temerity to trade Hayward because he could potentially opt out of his contract in February? You know, the, the cries of they're cheap. They don't want to pay the tax. You know, it would have, it would have lit up the phone lines for weeks. Not lighting right. up the phone lines nearly as much now because no one's listening nearly as much. Everything is presented in such extreme terms, and you know, there's very little there's very little done to help the audience, or the readers and the and the viewers, understand what Danny Ainge is thinking when he's trying to make these decisions and the the factors and the choices in front of him. And it's like every person who tries to bring to to bring in you know, extra information to help people understand the, the thinking through of those decisions is met with almost like this, this cultish kind of, um, hey, you're a heretic kind of thing. In, um, in Scientology, they use the term suppressive person. Like, you're a suppressive person. Don't talk to, or don't talk to suppressive persons. Anybody who, anybody who doubts what we're doing here, well, you, need to, you need to stop talking to them. And one of the things that they do in, I've heard this, like, like uh, you talk to Matt, you talk to people about Matt Chatham and he did it. He just did a, a piece about um, it's on his Twitter, like reviewing film and showing how the Patriots failed to disrupt the routes of the Houston receivers, which, which would have broken up the timing and, and really they would have played a little bit better zone if they had hit those guys coming off the line and messed up their timing. And I'm like, this is him criticizing what the Patriots did on Sunday. He's just not doing it the same way everybody else is. He's doing it in a very right. thoughtful, very like, here's the issue. And it's not the same issue everybody else is focused on. And so, therefore, Matt's often treated as, you know, first, first as a homer. That's the easiest way. Oh, they're a homer. Don't listen to anybody who's a homer, okay? Uh, Dan Shaughnessy just dumped on um, this interview between, like a sideline interview, as if, or I don't know if it was – I'm sorry, I shouldn't say. I didn't see the interview with Gronk and uh, Randy Moss. Did they do studio or did they do sideline? I didn't see it. Okay. But anyway, he, he dumps on that because Gronk is being interviewed by an athlete. How dare you? I can't watch this. This is so terrible. Um, you know, instead of, hey, we might gain some insight. By the way, 
these TV interviews are generally pretty useless anyway, but Dan wants a journalist in there because Dan wants Dan there. Like Dan wants the attention. It's all about Dan. Okay, but we're not going to – okay, so no homers. We'll just root them right out. So if somebody who likes the Patriots steps up and says, wait a minute, this evidence is uh, contradicts your opinion. Nah, shush. It's a homer. He's a suppressive homer. Get away from him. And then the other one is smartest guy in the room. They use that a lot about Belichick. I've heard people say that about Matt. Um, and that, by the way, was interesting. Like, I've heard radio people say that about Matt, both on and off air. And it's like, you see where they're sort of threatened by the expertise and the, just simply the different way of thinking because so little of this is critical thought. So much of this is, Pulling the right strings to make a product. It's like writing a song. You gotta have your hook, you gotta have your verses, and you gotta have a drum beat. That's it, right? You're like, we got the beat, we got a, we got a melody for the, uh, for the verses, and then we've got a chorus that sounds great, and people, it's gonna be an earworm, that's a song. And what people are trying to do is, they're just trying to create, hey, uh, this needs some guitar right here. So say something along the lines of, um, I hope I'm wrong. Right? Hope I'm wrong. It's classic. You just that that riff is a classic. It's like a standard bass line. Uh, hey, doom 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 doom. If the uh, you know Cam Newton isn't the future for the Patriots, I hope I'm wrong. Doom doom doom. Instead of getting into the issues that may make or break Cam Newton, does that make sense? I think I think that's it's fair. Um, little disturbed by the music analogy, but that's okay. Cause I can see you doing air guitar where you're trying to do that. So mm, yeah. Um, yeah, that I should think, not help by the way. <laughs> no, you're right about Chatham. You're, you're completely right about Chatham. It's he's providing information and it's, you know, for me, useful um, information. I your think. guy, your guy Lazar goes, goes on the defensive when he's called out, when he's go, he's doing the PFF bullshit of trying to tell us what's going on at the plays when he doesn't know what the assignments is and, and Chatham, right. You know, Chatham has certainly has a, a much, I mean, an infinite well of deeper knowledge of what specifically they're trying to do on defense. And it's, uh, listen, I'm, I'm going to take his opinion over someone, uh, some media members every day and proverbially twice on Sunday. I do love that he's, pre he's, he's presented as a, as an ingrate or an outcast because he's providing information and insight. It's, 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 it's really all you need to know about, the rest of the bobos in the Boston media. Yeah. I mean, you know, the other, I mean, the other thing about social media is that we've just really empowered a lot of people to go out and recycle and reinforce ideas that are not well considered and aren't necessarily true. And anybody who interferes with that, it's just a suppressive person. Got two out. to six on both stations. Two to six on both stations are carbon, carbon copies of each other. One yeah. is an epic troll job that's embraced by uh, the, the great unwashed and the mouth breathers. And the other one's a, just a dumber ripoff of it. And it's, it yeah. provides nothing other than I, I, I don't get the, I don't get why someone would want to listen to that. I'm not their target audience, clearly. Right, Thank and God. the thing is, it is all so entrenched. And, you know, uh, I promise I'm not going to take a side politically when I explain this, but, like, I'm really curious what's going to happen in the next presidential administration with Twitter. Because never before now have we had a president who can, through the power of a Twitter account that has 80-some million followers, elevate media that the president likes okay i can create an audience for the people who defend it right and i'm, I'm going to be very curious to see what the next president does with twitter because you can kind of use that platform to put information in front of the people and really there's a whole bunch of different ways you can go with it i would say that one thing that happened over the last four years was because this president tended to appreciate people who supported him and retweeted them. That incentivizes people to remain loyal, to not ask questions and to not be a suppressive person. I'm very curious where that's gonna go. If I were 
Um, if I didn't like Joe Biden, I would be concerned that Joe Biden could do those things. Um, what's he going to do with his Twitter account? And then do we get to a point where, um, you know, is, is the, is the, how do we feel about this idea of the president of the United States, whoever it may be, having the ability to, um, why are we doing this? You, I'm sorry, but you can change the life of, here's my, here's the point I'm trying to get to. You can change someone's life. If you have an account with that many followers, you can change a reporter's life. And this, this always used to exist in the sense of um, giving somebody a favorable interview, right? Like it connects to this idea of, of agents and how agents build favor by, by trading stories. But the president only doesn't even have to give an interview now, just has to give a retweet and to sort of say, um, hey, be my, be my Ron Borges and I'll retweet you. The media is now, uh, sports media is now doing that to itself. And it's, but, but nobody's trying to get like Tom Brady's retweet. That would almost seem like too sycophantic and too homerish. Like if I, if I go out and say, hey, people are knocking Tom Brady for not shaking hands. That's a bummer. Then Tom Brady, um, although actually I did once do this for Odell Beckham. I once pointed out that a, a, a flag was, I believe, erroneously called. I think Dean Blandino made up like two rules on the spot. Odell Beckham retweeted me saying that. Um, if you want to talk about, you know, narcissists and their Twitter accounts, Odell Beckham retweeted that. And it, would, it was like viral. I went into a, I bought a burrito. I walked out and my phone was just like, you have like, you know, 8 million notifications on Twitter. I was like, what happened? Um, Lesson of that story is you can never go wrong going against Baghdad Blandino. <laughs> right. Right. I mean, I, I honestly felt like Blandino was making up rules on this play, but um, it is, it used to do these explanations where he would just like, it, they, they all, it was like the, the, the minister of information in Baghdad, like explaining the NFL rules to you being like, no, 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 no. It's, you can't look at an official. Like what? Well, he's like right here. Odell Beckham's looking at this official. So that flag is also warranted here. And I'm like, no, he's on the sideline. You can look at an official from the sideline. What you can shout in their direction from the sideline. Anyway, by the way, this week's entitled town phrase that pays is suppressive person. Suppressive person. We're, we're so far down a rabbit hole. Anyway, everything is a cult now. The whole world is just it's cults and multi-level marketing schemes. That's it. That's our whole social media. It, it's all going to work out in the long run, probably. There were so many problems. Um, with yellow journalism and uh, William Randolph Hearst like used a newspaper he owned to start a war um, in, um, oh gosh, all the history is like uh, vacating from me. But the, the, the quote was, you furnish the photos, I'll furnish the war, okay? Because it suited his interest to promote and manufacture uh, this armed conflict and people died, okay? and. It took time for the populace to kind of um, build up some understanding of how they were being manipulated. And everything's going to be cults and multi-level marketing schemes until we, um, you know, until people just kind of get used to and then what, what happens on social media and then all these bots and, and everything. And, and then we'll all get used to it. We'll evolve, we'll adapt. And then, you know, in a hundred years, there'll be some other new way to. That was actually the Boston Sports Journal business plan you just described right there. <laughs> There you go. Thank you. So Scientology, Shakespeare, and yellow journalism. We're, uh, we're hitting all the, the hot points the Patriots are, fans want to hear about. <laughs> we are so far down the rabbit hole here, but um, well, I hope By the way, something. I, I, it pissed me off Sunday after the game. Listen, I'm not, I'm not a huge Newton guy. I get it. Do you know who Matt McCarthy is? Yes. He's a zero from 98.5. He's, he's their baseball guy. He retweeted uh, large gymnasium Murray ripping newton this is someone who makes their living in media yeah quote talking about cam newton people actually want this career loser to be their quarterback that's all you need to know about 98.5 that's all right. you need to know notice it, me felchy that's all they, they, strips, they're overlord it strips the whole issue of its merits nothing is discussed on the merits 
Nothing is discussed. And when I say the merits, I don't mean whatever Cam Newton's career win-loss record is. I'm talking about his skills, his, um, the nature of his flaws, and whether they are correctable or permanent. And that basically that sentiment has been expressed by what McCarthy said. That sentiment's been expressed by um, uh, shoe polish enthusiast Lou Merloni on WEEI this week. It's it's it really is just it's yellow. You imagine if someone talked about uh, Lou's buddy Nomar that way, man. Yeah, like if Ben Affleck did. <laughs> Point. Uh, ben Affleck apparently uh, made Lou Merloni cry. Is that right? Wasn't yeah, so did most pitchers in the, in the bigs in AAA. Well, listen, he wasn't – you know what, though? I mean, we've, we've said it before on this show. Like, like, Lou put in the work. He made the major leagues. Not the most talented guy, but good for him. And, like, if only he would bring the, the appreciation for other people's work that we have for him, for his work, of doing what it took to become a professional athlete and making the most of it, you know, of his limited ability, he maximizes it. It's an act. He's, it's an act. He's doing a Felcher cosplay. That's right. all he's doing. I know. And Ted Johnson, you know, Rodney Harrison to some degree. It, it shows you that the entry barrier to a successful position in media today is, or one of the, one of the big entry barriers is how far you willing to depart from reality and rational conversation. Some of my friends from um, the Boston sports media watch message board and Slack would refer to what you're talking about with Johnson, uh, Ted Johnson and Rodney Harrison. It's varsity jacket syndrome. They were better when they won state than this team was. And it's, I suppose it's inevitable. Well, you know, what's interesting. I think that Felger has that for the Patriots now. Like his, ver- like his dynasty, those first three titles when he was there in Foxborough and the old stadium and the old guys that he was there with are sort of unassailable. And everything now is worse in comparison. Isn't that inevitable? Like, though? Doesn't that happen to most guys as they get older? It's like the, the, like 86, the, Celtics are, the 86 Celtics are forever going to be, you know, my team. I loved yeah, the, the nostalgia is a, is a disease, no. right? No, 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 no. Because it's the way that Felger does it. Like, you're always going to have a soft spot. I'm always going to have a soft spot for the 96 Yankees. You're always going to have a soft spot for the 86 Celtics. Uh, but the point is, like, like, he'll sell it as, like, you know, 2016, that Patriots team wasn't as good as the other teams. Like, they, they don't deserve to win a Super Bowl. They're, they're not a good Patriots team. Like, he said that almost every – I think he said that in 2016, 17, and 18. He'll deride the 2007 team and he'll, he'll, he'll shit on the 20, 2007 team while then putting on a pedestal, deservedly, the 2001 team. One team went 14 and five, the other one went 18 and one. There was another thing like, that's not how people used to do it. Like, oh, what was the thing where like somebody was, t- oh God, it was such a great example. Somebody was talking to the media and he was like, you know, like Mike Vrabel used to have some give and take and like, you know, basically the knock was that whoever, like it was, it was Kyle Van Noy. I think it was Van Noy. I think it was basically. He, had a, he always the, had a hair across his ass about Van Noy. And the comparison was to Mike Vrabel, which I found fascinating because uh, Van Noy basically became, like he had the, the Teddy Bruschi locker, but would come and like stand in the same place that Vrabel did and was like the defensive kind of, once a week type deal, like, oh, we know Van Noy is going to be there. And he was like the same relative area as Rabel in the locker room. And I could so see how you would make that connection. And the conclusion that he came to, which is that Kyle Van Noy, he doesn't like because he's not the same as Rabel is really silly, but it's like this idea of, Hey, he was in the trenches back in the first wave of this dynasty. And so Everything has to meet that standard. You know, you have to be as jocular and as fun with the reporters and have a little give and take as um, Rodney Harrison and Mike Vrabel did. I'm sure it has nothing to do with the fact that Felger's 20 years older than he was when he was covering the team in in the early 2000s. And, and, you know, that's, I mean, those are sort of hard things to do when you're observing and reporting on things is to 
set aside what your mind has seen before and sort of say, okay, I'm going to focus on this reality and I'm not going to necessarily judge them against the past. I'm going to judge them on the merits of what they do now. But, you know, other than did you win a championship or not, there doesn't seem to be much interest in merits. Agreed. And you know what? Shame on me for not pointing this out last time we pointed this out. Um, one person who never lost his appreciation for the players, as it were, players, plural, not the player caller. Mm-hmm. And rest in peace, Tom Heinsohn. Tom Heinsohn had a joy about him right. that was just, it transcended generations, whether you're in your 20s or if you're our age or even older. Tom Heinsohn loved the team. He loved, mm-hmm. the, you know, maybe he's the first green teamer, as it was. He's a green teamer, Tommy, total bobo. And I th- absolutely, and I think it it may have been uh, our mutual buddy Shaq who said on Twitter. If it's not Shaq, I apologize. He's a Tommy. Oh, no, it was. I'm sorry. It was a. Uh, it was John on Twitter. Pain didn't hurt. That Tommy Heinsohn was the antidote to the toxicity that was Boston sports media. Mm-hmm. Better, better. I, I could not turn a phrase so perfectly. Tommy Heinsohn was one of a kind, and it is. I mean, a, a true loss. A true loss. R.I.P. Um, Tommy. In the, yeah. Get Tommy points forever, but that—that's that kind of thing is. Or that, <laughs> how about like that, Johnny Most? Johnny Johnny Most really kind of. I mean, he was such a like. I mean, Johnny Most was a homer. There's no way around that. But he was such an aggressive homer <laughs> that like he almost comes all the way back around again somehow. That just I guess by being like in a way toxic and in a way a homer it just worked together does that make any sense it was it was absolutely beautiful and and i'm a part of the generation that would turn down the tv and turn on i would actually turn on my radio back then i mean most was was fantastic and it's you know my favorite johnny most call ever and it's i I, we probably can't play it due to copyright laws but when when uh kurt rambis filed kevin McHale's forearm Most said, and it, 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 I can remember it verbatim, and it goes to Rambus, and Rambus is decked, and he wants a foul. Oh, you don't dare touch him. As he, <laughs> Mikhail bounced him off the floor. If you look at that replay, Rambus <laughs> yeah. bounces like a basketball just right. a tick under with too little PSI in it. And, and thank God, David, it's, oh, you can't dare touch him. And that goes, right, and that goes like, like that's where – the rooting interest which was part of his appeal okay that's where it goes to the point of misinformation where like i don't think he properly depicted that to the radio audience and in In that case yes but he was a thousand percent right right right. about those despicable pistons i will tell you that there you go um but if you if you want to go to youtube and find like a clip of johnny most he he is he's just so from a different time and just so unique and so like 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 you just can't believe that the announcer for the team it's almost like he's he's in favor of the team and at the same time is like not taking anything from anybody like he is just not taking any um nonsense from anyone but go look up johnny most and uh and enjoy it and we're blessed to still have Mike Gorman. Mike Gorman is is incredible. The, the best of what he does. It's uh, a, the best of a unfortunate dying uh, dying breed. Yeah. Well, you know. Uh. Hi. Yeah. Fine. I'm tired, man. I'm tired. Should we? Should we? Wrap this I think up. we've battery, done a. I think we've done a podcast. The battery of my computer is in the red, so I think we need to um, make a move. I'm going to lower the brightness, and I'm going to say, uh, "Do you have anything you want to discuss from the email?" Uh, I discussed Glenn McQuaid's email. Uh, the email address is, as always, entitledtown at gmail.com. You know the Twitter account at entitledtown. Um, uh, that's all I have, Dave. What do you have? Besides a computer that's rapidly dying. <laughs> um, I'm trying to look up the, I'm trying to look at the ratings, but like, I can't remember how to do this. Uh, no, nope, that's not right. Al, shut the hell up. Jesus. Al, you're not helping. Um, 
Okay. Well, forget this. I'm, I quit. Uh, we'll do it next time. We're going to have a, a second edition of Entitled Town coming up on. Oh, yeah. Uh, we're going to be recording uh, Thursday evening. Uh, myself and Patrick Scartelli will be going for uh, either round three or four, but I'm excited to have Scartzi back. I'm sure that uh, we'll do kind of a, a little bit. We'll look ahead to the Patriots-Cardinals game, and there'll be, I'm sure there'll be plenty of dumb shit said on social media and, and otherwise over the next few days about uh, – about the Patriots, the Red Sox, the Celtics, the Celtics. Oh, I have some, I have some, the, the, the idiocy surrounding the Hayward stuff I could go on about, but I'm going to bite my tongue. Um, okay. All right. Well, thank you for doing that. I hope you don't hurt yourself. And uh, are we on to Thursday or are we on to the Arizona Cardinals? Uh, the answer is yes. We're on to, we're on to <laughs> Thanksgiving and we're on to, uh, Kyle and Murray, very similar to Sean Watson, a, f- a fun team to watch. Um, we get them a lot out here. I live in an NFC West city in Seattle. So the Cardinals are a, the Cardinals are a good football team with a really, really good quarterback who I can't help but hear. Um, when he starts to scramble, I hear uh, the Benny Hill, Hill theme, yakety sacks in my head when he runs around with those choppy little legs. He's, but he's a dynamic player. Oh, don't forget about Hop. <laughs> Hop, so many, yeah, so many weapons. They got, uh, they got the Drake, Kenyon Drake, Kenyon Drake, Chase Edmonds, DeAndre Hopkins, the ageless Larry Fitzgerald. It's it's Fitzgerald. it's over, caller. You Did don't you have think, you don't have a on defense to stop that team. Do you think Larry Fitzgerald will be spotted at Logan Airport? Uh, well, it is a day that ends in Y, so probably. I hope, unless they fly in a TF Green, but which a lot of teams do. There are Hertz counters at TF Green too. All right, listen, Entitled Town listeners, we need you to be on the lookout for Larry Fitzgerald at any local, even Manchester, any local airport. Bolo. You got it? Got it. All right. All right, so we're on to Thursday, and we're on to the Arizona Cardinals. Bye for now. Turn off your radios.